Now entering Nerdist.com. Hello and welcome to episode 19 of the Competitive Erotic Fan Fiction Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Cook, and you've found the Internet's number one most trusted source for Muppet boners and horny loners. Today you'll hear round one from a show recorded July 17th, 2012 at the NerdMelt showroom in L.A., featuring four of my absolute favorite competitors, Mike O'Connell, Andre Duboucher, Patrick Keene, and Heather Thompson, all reading pieces they wrote in advance based on subjects of their choosing. Hey, if you enjoy the podcast, please leave us a review and a rating on iTunes. And here we go. Wow, this is a good show. Looking good, looking primed and ready. I like it. Let's start with Mr. Pat Keen down there on the end. Pat Keen, everybody. Thanks, guys. Do we have to give reason as to why we picked anything? No? If you like. Okay. <laughs> Glinda, the good witch of the north, <laughs> came home from a long, hard day's work in the land of Oz. It was late afternoon, early evening, right about that time when you're driving and you go back and forth between taking off your sunglasses and putting them back on. <laughs> she picked up the phone and called her sister, the good witch of the south, for a venting session. Today would be especially high voltage. Sure, one of her mortal enemies, the wicked witch of the east, had just been slain by an innocent young girl from Kansas who would go on to be a drug addict years later. <laughs> but that didn't mean it didn't take a lot out of her. She would now have to deal with the wrath of the sisters, wicked witch of the west, who is now desperate and angry and more dangerous than ever. Glinda's sister had heard this complaining a thousand times before. It was a different situation, but it always came back to the same thing. Glinda needed to find love. Hard love. <laughs> After hearing another endless rant, Glinda's sister... Had heard so many times before, she finally chimes in. Sister, what you need is a man. I know, replied Glinda. But uh, all the good ones are taken or gay or want younger or inexperienced women. <laughs> you go to bars, coffee shops, websites, dog parks, ball games, bookstores, libraries, crunch, churches, beaches, and nothing. I go out and get waxed before a date, and the only ones benefiting are perverts in Munchkinland. <laughs> Someone needs a brain, and I supply. Someone needs a heart, and I give. Someone needs courage, and I'm there for them. I help get the, these things for these people. Hell, just give me a man who has one of these three, and I'll be a happy in this motherfucker. <laughs> Jesus Christ, girl, says Glinda's sister. This is Code Red. We got to get your ass to Vegas. <laughs> after, Glinda, uh, after taking Glinda down from the ledge yet again, uh, sister finally gets her to agree to a last-minute trip to Las Vegas. Las Vegas is Spanish for the meadows. <laughs> which is ironic, but uh, also more alluring to creatures of true beauty than if it were just a desert oasis. The good witches of the north and south are now on a hot air balloon packed with eager vacationers to Sin City getting boozed up. Other passengers approach the witch sisters and ask them for a little magic or a miracle or two. Uh, jealous bachelorette parties ask for an autograph or a picture to be taken. The witches kindly decline and say they're on vacation. They giddily talk to each other about all the hell they're going to raise once they get to Vegas. They finally land and hit the town hard. Cigars, shots, blackjack. They make themselves available to all the city's testosterone, but hours later find themselves no closer to the arms of a man. 
there's no hope. I'm going to just have to go back to Oz and give out, live out my life alone with an occasional hookup with the man behind the curtain, says Glinda. <laughs> her sister shaking her head and about to give up as well. As they leave the casino and head back to their rooms, the girls stumble upon a comedy club. <laughs> the, uh, the late show has just gotten underway. Glinda's sister tries to convince her to go. Glinda says it's... It's better, it, it better not be little people running around in bright colors. I've had enough of that. They look at the marquee and see that the headlining uh, act tonight is a tall, pale, auburn-haired, de- self-deprecating act out of L.A. named Patrick Keene. <laughs> His headshot hangs in glass on the wall, and Glinda's blue eyes have a glimmer of hope as she bites her lip, almost beginning the look, the long surrender that would become her evening. Glinda's sister convinces her they should check it out, although little convincing is necessary at this point. Let's go in and watch the show, says Glinda's sister. These comedians will fuck anything. (laughs) The two witches go to pay, but the teller recognizes them and allows them to enter free of charge. They find themselves a booth in the back, and as they watch Patrick perform, they laugh so hard they have to continually fidget in their seats. My pussy vagina is so wet right now. says Glinda. I've climaxed three times already from this guy's comedy. (laughs) I'm so happy for you, sis, says the good witch of the South. You're long overdue. Glinda, I have to meet this guy. If his tongue is as good with touch as it is with sound, I think we may have found our man. (laughs) The show ends and the witches wait at the bar for Patrick to come out of the green room. A waiter tells Patrick there are a couple of witches waiting to meet him at the bar, to which he replies, it's not the first time. (laughs) He says they can wait a little longer and lights a cigarette. The witches are hit hit on by a couple drunk suits from Madison Avenue who bore them with stories of the stock market and bold predictions of what we can expect this next fiscal year. Glinda looks around nervously as she's worried that she might miss Patrick if he leaves. Patrick finally walks up and orders a drink. Glinda's sister gestures for her to go talk to him. She'll deal with the suits and and bite the bullet, as Glinda's done for her many times before. Glinda approaches Patrick as her sister knows how to handle the two guys from Wall Street. Glinda compliments Patrick on his performance. Great show, she says. Do you see a lot of comedy? asks Patrick. Not enough, but when I see it, I love it, she replies. (laughs) Well, let me know if you see any around here, would you? replies Patrick. Glinda laughs at his sarcasm and has to just adjust her private area as more dampness seeps through. (laughs) It's a coincidence you like comedy, says Patrick. I happen to be a fan of witches who handle the polar regions. <laughs> Glinda, Glinda blushes and says, thank you. Patrick orders scotch for himself and offers to buy Glinda a drink. She says, thank you, but tells him he won't need it. Patrick stares straight ahead and takes a moment. You going to be able to keep that gown on until we make it back to my room, or are we about to mess up an elevator? <laughs> says Patrick. Who says we're going to make it to the elevator? Replies Glinda. Patrick downs his scotch, tips the bartender and grabs Glinda's ivory firm but feminine arm and forces her onto the stage. The supreme confidence once seen on her face is now dissolved into pleasurable fear. She looks around to see if anyone is watching. The room somehow is now empty, though she wouldn't care if it weren't. Patrick tells her not to worry. If there's one thing people know how to do in Vegas, it's mind their own goddamn business. (laughs) He throws her down on the floor of the stage as her tiara and wand go flying. 
He puts his hands up between her wet thighs and utters, pretty hot up there considering the air condition's been on full blast all night. (laughs) Why don't you show me what full blast is, says Glinda. (laughs) Patrick smiles and says, you have to earn it. She looks at him in disbelief. Nobody back in Oz would ever talk to her like this, but they're not in Oz anymore. You're going to be the bad witch of the North for a little while, Patrick says. He puts his lips to hers and drags his tongue between her openings as Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon kicks on. (laughs) (laughs) And is heard, heard on the fragile comedy club sound system. Glinda's femininity gushes enough to sink the Titanic with Molly Brown still on it. (laughs) With the gush, Glinda lets all her responsibility and pent-up wrath of years past uh, fall out of her like a waterfall of lava. It takes everything she has not to touch herself. After multiple pussy explosions, he throws her (laughs) up against the back wall with her princess gown ravished as she looks more like a victim than a consenting adult. (laughs) Patrick... Patrick turns her around and, uh, and grips the back of her hair. She clings to the railing that runs along the wall, thinking for a second, what would she do if it weren't there? Maybe it was put there for just such occasions, or perhaps it was just a coincidence. Who knows with these comedy clubs? <laughs> she didn't dare resist at this point. It, would have matched the smi- it wouldn't match the smile that had made its way to her face. Patrick makes one more lick somewhere under the rainbow before sliding into her from behind. <laughs> She is amazed at how well he fits in, almost as if her pussy were a fractured locket she'd carried around all her life, and his cock was the missing piece. His breath on the back of her neck is just as pleasant as the penetration taking place a few feet below. As he reaches his head around, they touch mouths. Again, she can taste herself for the first time and see all the goodness she has given to others for so long. The kiss cements the intimacy, and both realize that This is more than just lust. Patrick repeats, there's no place like home, several times. And Glinda holds on for dear life, feeling like Patrick's own wand is getting further and further inside her with every thrust. Nobody's ever been that far north in me before, she says, laughing to herself, then thinking, wow, that's funny. Holy shit, this guy's literally fucking funny into me. As Patrick finishes, he says, thank God you didn't melt with moisture the way the evil witch does. Her head almost explodes from this punchline. She, cr- she, t- <laughs> she tries to catch her breath as she collects her wand and tiara. She says, I'm never clicking my heels to go home ever again. Patrick says, you have to. There's a young girl and three friends out there who need a freshly plucked witch to come to their rescue right about now. She begins to weep and says she'll never get to see Patrick again. He says, don't be ridiculous. There's a giggle hut in Kansas, and he can try and get booked there next spring. Just then, a bubble appears, and Glinda says, my ride's here. (laughs) (laughs) They kiss one more time, and Glinda steps inside. She looks back with tears streaming down her face, and Patrick is nowhere to be found. She looks all over the club as the bubble begins to lift and float away. There's no sign of Patrick, and she sobs into the sleeves of her gown, half-wishing tonight never happened, for it gave her hope. Finally, a hand comes into hers. It's Patrick's. She looks around and sees the microphone cord hanging off the side of the bubble with the microphone lodged in the upholstery of the bubble's interior. (laughs) She looks at him in disbelief. He returns her look and whispers, Baby, I'm sure it can't be easy being both a witch and a princess. (laughs) She has one last orgasm as they fall into each other. For the first time, she truly feels understood. But what made you change your mind, she utters. 
I figured Oz needed a little comedy. He replies. <laughs> the couple kisses as the bubble floats away where the two will spread happiness throughout the world and bone for all of eternity. <laughs> Thank you. Pat Uh, if, if you weren't aware, uh, writing yourself into it is known as Guy Branaming. Some of you were here last month. I think he fucked ABBA, if I remember right. <laughs> Mike O'Connell, get up here, buddy. Mike O'Connell. Wow. Hello, hello. Uh, I will be doing Antiques Roadshow. <laughs> and uh, just if anybody is not familiar with Antiques Roadshow, Mark... Fucking Wahlberg is the real guy's name who hosts. It's not, it's not the Mark Wahlberg from the movies. His name is Mark Wahlberg. Just so you don't mistake the two. If you want to, go ahead and masturbate in your heads. <laughs> it's called Orgy at the Roadshow. <laughs> the lines have been peopled and the booze having been built, the excitement of the Antiques Roadshow hummed like a bevy of bees. <laughs> Collectors and appraisers alike could feel that this was no garden variety dog and pony roadshow. No! There was something in the air that made this antiques roadshow different. Something that made this roadshow stand out like an erection in a graduation gown. <laughs> as early as 8 a.m., the elderly patrons were tugging at the, at the necks of their embarrassing sweaters and questioning each other Is it hot in this Los Angeles Civic Center? <laughs> Little did they know, but were soon to discover that it was not a matter of weather, but one of collective sexual desire that moistened their brows and regions of nether. <laughs> Hello, I'm Mark Wahlberg. Not that one. <laughs> and welcome to the Antiques Roadshow. Here we are in Los Angeles. Mid-intro, Mark becomes flush as a third pleat begins to grow in his perfectly pressed pants. And it soon becomes clear that his member is swelling like the throat of a child with a peanut allergy after eating a Snickers. <laughs> Against his will, his hand begins to stroke his granite-hard cock through his pants, staring directly into the camera all the while. Here we are in Los Angeles where people have brought their heirlooms and flea market finds to see Oh my Yahweh! He moans as his seed shoots violently from the precipice of his sex, causing a wetness to spread down his leg, turning his gray pants black. Spent and heavily breathing, but ever the professional, he finishes his job. Here we are in Los Angeles where people have brought their heirlooms and flea market finds to see what they are worth. Take a look. <laughs> Cut two. This quilt has been in my family for many generations, and I was told that it is possibly the quilt that covered Abraham Lincoln after he was shot at the Ford Theater, purrs of a voluptuous housewife from Orange County. <laughs> We see that the obese British appraiser is appraising much more than the quilt <laughs> as he stares at her bosom with the look of a fat man eyeing tits. <laughs> what makes this a lovely quilt and what makes this a historical quilt is that I am about to fuck you within an inch of your life directly on top of this quilt. <laughs> but not before I cunnilingize your clitoris for a time, during which I will need someone to tickle my asshole. <laughs> Cameraman, can you do the honors? 
The camera drops to the ground as the cameraman excitedly begins to tickle his anus. And the fat appraiser eats her pussy like a starving donkey let loose in an old country buffet. (laughs) A wave of pleasure washes over her as she pleads for him not to stop. He, however, has something else in mind. Having sated his thirst for her delectable nectar, he swiftly dick-sticks her with a passion and verve that would intimidate even the finest of pornographic actors. His strokes are sound, and she accepts them as if each one brings her closer to God. (laughs) A group has naturally gathered to view the unabashed destruction of the social contract that states that all fucking should be done privately. Inspired to buy the display, people drop their lamps in Tiffany vases and begin to centrally inspect their own genitals. And when those genitals become erect and wet and ready to be used, their hands move to the genitals of the person next to them, regardless of their gender. For if the roadshow orgy is to be, it is to be an orgy of tongues and genitals lacking judgment with only a mind for collective pleasure. Those who had not abandoned their bric-a-brac began to use it in elaborate ways. <laughs> Hand jobs were given by Muhammad Ali signed boxing gloves. <laughs> Canes, formerly used by generals and czars, became dildos. He or she who could not find a partner quickly found that stuffed animals can be sexed in a pinch. <laughs> Boudoirs from the time of Napoleon became simply things on which to fuck. (laughs) Everything lost its value in this moment of supreme and all-encompassing joy. (laughs) The musty smell of antiques combined with the musty scent of coitus to create a mustiness unparalleled in the history of man. (laughs) The moans crescendo to a deafening roar so that not even the prudest of grandmothers can escape this sexually charged siren's songs that lures you in like a 98-cent store located next to one that sells goods for 99. (laughs) As everyone expresses and fulfills their most deep-seated fantasies, they begin to realize that they are no longer singular men and women, but they have become one. And with this realization, the entire civic center, the young and the old, come in unison in what has to be the largest orgasm on record. (laughs) Thousands lie sweaty and spent on the floor of the civic center, wondering what had overcome them and when, God willing, it would overcome them again. That was the day that the Antiques Roadshow came to town. But that was also the day that the orgy came all over the Antiques Roadshow. <laughs> Thank you. Michael Kyle. <laughs> Heather Thompson, ladies and gentlemen. unusual for a sugar baker sister to take to fall asleep in the heat of the sweet seductive Georgia sun Suzanne had taken to wrestling out of her tight panties and needfully support a bra like wrestling out of the stress of the day to stroll out on the back veranda where the winds occasionally fluffed her petticoats hinting at sweet Georgia peach treasures above (laughs) 
She hated it when Mary Jo woke her from her slumber, usually with some silly business matter. Why decorate when you can luxuriate, was Suzanne's motto. But she sure did like to watch that little face of hers tense up and her sweet tiny breast lift a little and strain against those dowdy linen jumpers she always wore. Sometimes she wanted to grab her by the perm and ease her into a place she could really lose all that tension. <laughs> You're sleeping on my swatches, Mary Jo exclaimed as she knelt out and tried to yank them out from under her. Suzanne looked at her with a twinkle in her eye. Mary Jo, you know that's not really what you came out here for. Suzanne said as she let her chiffon blouse fall open to reveal her sumptuous full breasts. Mary Jo felt hypnotized by the sweet pink of her nipples and soon found herself tenderly kissing Suzanne as her small fingers grasped the hardening, hungry breast peaks. <laughs> Suzanne began to feel a wetness deep inside her, usually reserved for the most humid months of August. <laughs> she guided Mary Jo's other hand up her creamy thighs, whispering, I want you to feel in my southern crevasse. Just as Mary Jo's fingers began to dance against her, a sharp bang distracted them and sent vibrations through the old floorboards and up their bodies. A striking southern gentleman stood above them, pounding his cane against the porch. His jaw clenched in anger and eyes bore into their soft flesh. He said to them quite simply, My ottoman has not arrived and you are in trouble. <laughs> when I hire a bunch of designing women... <laughs> I expect to have my furniture and other needs serviced promptly. He said this as he stroked the outside of his pants where his blood-filled dick was beginning to strain against the seams. <laughs> the two women stared, mouths agape. I don't understand, Mary Jo said. It must be a service order mistake. I'll go get the paperwork. He grabbed her by the nape of the neck and yelled, It's too late for paperwork. <laughs> Suzanne, ever sassy, chimed in. Does that mean it's too early for cock? <laughs> he kept his hand on Mary Jo and with the other one ripped off the rest of Suzanne's dress, revealing her pale, hot, thick body. Delta had only just begun to start eating emotionally, so it was the best kind of thing. <laughs> if I can say that sort of thing. <laughs> You'll get cock when I say you get cock, he whispered through gritted teeth, at which point he flipped Suzanne over, spanked her, and gave her sweet southern bell, a.k.a. vagina, <laughs> a strong lick. Finish that ice cream cone, he yelled at Mary Jo, who began eating Suzanne with an urgency she usually reserved for peach cobblers on girls' night in. <laughs> at that moment, Charlene walked in and exclaimed, I haven't seen two friends enjoying each other this much since this one time at the annual Popular Buff Carnival, these two possums. <laughs> the girls knew from experience the only way to shut Charlene up was to get genitals in her mouth. <laughs> So Suzanne reached up and released the beast that was their client's rock-hard dick. Charlene was in charge of accounting and sucking at the office, so she dropped her calculator and opened her mouth to heaven. <laughs> By the time Anthony came home, they were mostly a sweaty pile of shoulder pads and pantyhose. <laughs> he always checked on Suzanne in the late afternoons. Contrary to popular belief, he loved rich white women who bossed him around. <laughs> Being the delivery man, he felt a little cliché walking over and announcing, I have a package. 
But it worked, and Charlene, still bent over, lifted her skirt so we could plunge Dick first into her sweetest southern hospitality. <laughs> oh, Anthony, she called out, just consider this sweet pussy reparations. <laughs> was the angry southern gentleman was not letting anyone come. Truly no gentleman at all. <laughs> Poor Mary Jo thought she would explode everywhere when Julia walked in and simultaneously smacked him with a riding cop and dog collared him to the wraparound railing. Eyes blazing, she decreed. No what are you doing to my four friends' five orifices? <laughs> no one, she said, no one gives my employees blue kit. And blue balls. Sorry, Anthony, we always leave you out. And then she proceeded to lick and suck and fuck and fondle until everyone, including herself, exploded as she cried out, And that is the night the lights went out in Georgia! Anna Thompson! And keep it going for Mr. Andre Duboucher, ladies and gentlemen. You write for Conan. What are you doing here? <laughs> this is absurd. This is, this is more fun. <laughs> <clears throat> and then we'll check out a vegan diner in Santa Fe that'll have you saying, I vegetarian can be satisfied without meat in the meal. Up next on Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. <laughs> Guy Fieri's muscular hands gripped... <laughs> gripped the stick shift and steering wheel of his glistening manvertible with a strength he normally reserved for taming dicks. The car lurched forward for an angry spurt before Guy put his foot down on the brake, put his foot down hard, like when he puts his foot down about the number of fuck thrusts he'll agree to give a whore before he unleashes his creamy chipotle-infused splat on her dumb whore tits. And by whore, I mean anyone and everyone who is not Guy Fieri. Cut yelled series director Stephen Bortko. <laughs> Guy exited the still-idling car angrily, the way his top-shelf agave goo always exited his cock. His jizz-colored hair shimmered with a horny brilliance in the noonday Santa Fe sun. A fucking vegan restaurant, Maria, Guy yelled. Maria was Maria Carrera, who, according to IMDB, is the coordinating producer of Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. <laughs> and might be responsible for deciding what restaurants they visit on the show. Her tits were huge, but Guy was too angry to do the polite thing and compliment them out loud. He'd find a more viscous way to compliment those stupid tits later. Guy, please, everyone in Santa Fe loves this place. They make great vegan burritos, pleaded Maria as she spoke out of the end of her body that was the opposite of where her brilliant ass was. Her ass was like Damon Lindelof. Brilliant, but it also made a lot of people angry. <laughs> and even as she blabbed to this bunch of nonsense that Guy didn't care about, what she was really thinking was, man, I'd give anything to feel Guy Fieri's jalapeno popper poke my place that only matters when a man's huge schlong or a petite woman's small arm is in there. <laughs> the G deep inside my V. As Guy stormed off, the sunglasses on the back of his head stared at the camera crew like the shining silver eyes of a sex genius. Mirrored eyes that put a tiny reflected version of the crew right there where they all secretly yearned to be, inside Guy Fieri's head. What was he thinking? 
probably something awesome. <laughs> Guy continued storming off until his temper was but a haze in the air. Series director Stephen Bortko shrugged. Guy was always angry when he was horny, so therefore he was always angry. <laughs> in fact, Stephen himself was starting to feel a bit horny. He motioned to field producer Liz Pollock, who was credited as having worked on the show for three episodes in 2010. <laughs> and said, while Guy blows off some steam, why don't you blow on my ween? <laughs> Liz laughed. She always laughed when Stephen made up rhymes, and this was no exception to that. Oh yes, blowing on his ween sounded like just the thing to satisfy her current cock-related needs. She knew she'd brushed her teeth that morning for a reason. Immediately, her panties started getting soaked through like a paper towel that had been dropped on the floor of a restaurant that only served moistness, and where the waiters were all really clumsy so that moistness was always spilling on the floor. Stephen could tell she liked his suggestion because the nipples on her dumb tits were starting... were, were pushing through the fabric of her blouse, just like his sex pepperoni was about to push down her throat. Stephen had a nice big dick. He cut off plenty of compliments about his dick by plugging it into ladies' mouths mid-sentence. <laughs> Pretty soon, Stephen's cock was so far deep into Liz's gullet that his balls might as well have been big, hu huge, hairy nose plugs. Yeah, that's right, she was upside down now. <laughs> Stephen was a pretty strong dude thanks to the gym and to the fact that he did this two or three times a day. Hold a chick upside down and press her against the back of a porta potty while she gurgled away on his big, thick director's cock, that is. <laughs> Man, I don't care about what's happening right now at all, he thought to himself, as his hip thrusts caused the porta potty door to rattle open and shut. Not at all. Liz was thinking, thinking the same thing. But I digress. This story isn't about the people that IMDb credits as the director, coordinating producer, and one of the field producers of Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. It's about the man himself, Guy Fieri. During the next day's shoot, Guy was back to a more professional demeanor, his horny anger just barely simmering below the surface of his goatee. Series cinematographer Anthony Rodriguez gazed at the monitor to ensure that Guy looked his best. Guy always did. <laughs> His ejaculate-colored hair stood in a row of furious spikes, ready to impale anyone's admiring gaze. Guy was meeting the proprietor of The Thankful Cow, a vegan diner in Santa Fe, where all the, this has been taking place so far. <laughs> Hi, I'm Megan, she said. Ha ha ha, Megan the Vegan, replied Guy. <laughs> Megan's tits were retarded. <laughs> I knew that since Megan was vegan, she was therefore also a lesbian, but he didn't care. He was going to introduce some meat into her diet before this shoot was over. Guy then chuckled out loud because he realized he had just thought of the word shoot and how it was going to have another meaning shortly pertaining to his load. In addition to her retarded tits, Megan had a Mensa-level ass. Guy wondered why all great tits were so stupid and all great asses were so smart. It seemed like a conundrum that no amount of penile spelunking would ever solve. That was fine with him. Why argue with the work of the great Lord Satan? <laughs> Hail Satan, thought Guy solemnly. <laughs> Meanwhile, purely coincidentally, series makeup department head Kathleen Brown thought the same thing. Guy nodded as Megan the vegan prattled on about some crap. He wasn't listening because he was too busy counting her leg hairs. Man, her legs were hairy. He didn't care. Each of those hairs was just a rung on the ladder up to Flavortown. 
and Flavortown was Megan's twat. Somewhere deep under the billowing folds of that bland canvas dress, there was a coos that had been deprived of penis for far too long. And Guy was going to nail it like a homemade birdhouse. <laughs> Guy shook his head with disapproval at the birdhouse analogy. <laughs> Megan saw Guy shaking his head and asked, Oh, so you've never had a five, ol five olive salad? Then you'll love mine. It's got five olives in it. Five kinds of olives in it. <laughs> oh, shit, thought Guy. This vegan chick has been talking to me for like ten minutes while I've been thinking about fucking her. Well, olive to... Eat salads? <laughs> Shouted Guy. The sunglasses on the back of his head stared off, uncaring. <laughs> Megan smiled and led him over to a counter where the ingredients were all lined up. Ten seconds later, if Guy's penis was his knees and Megan's pussy was water, Guy was knee-deep in water. <laughs> Five-minute fuck break, shouted field producer Kevin Lezak against all union protocol. This happened almost every show. The crew shuffled away for sodas and cigarettes and upside down against the porta potty blowjobs. And Guy kept hammering away at Megan's formerly lesbo twat. He was behind her, his doughy ass quivering with each contraction as he inched his kielbasa further and further into her ultra tight pussy. Soon she'd loosened up enough, just enough for Guy to go into hammerjack, jackhammer mode. <laughs> Or maybe pepper jack mode, he thought. <laughs> and that's exactly what he did. This all happened so fast, thought Megan, as her stupid fucking retard tits bounced on the counter, sending five different kinds of olives rolling in five different directions. But as soon as Guy has made his hilarious olive-to-eat-salads pun, she knew she'd let him be the first guy to screw her since her uncle. <laughs> she moaned with pleasure as she realized her previous sexual preference and diet were both shams. Guy's cock was huge, with a massive glands like a Cornish game hen stuck on the end of a pool noodle. Or a boxing glove stuck on the end of a pool noodle. Or an astronaut helmet stuck on the end of a pool noodle. And he knew how to use it. Smoke rose from the friction of his hairy thighs rubbing against her equally hairy thighs. And the Food Network star used his dick fist to punch the shit out of her G-spot. <laughs> Megan's moaning got louder and louder, and suddenly, curse sploosh, she squirted so hard, like a water-powered jetpack. It shot the two of them through the roof of the diner and straight out into space where they both died of asphyxiation. Thank you. Andre Dubouchet. Stay up here, buddy. We're going we're gonna to judge. Let's welcome everyone from round one back up. So if round two people can hear me, we're going to need you in just a second. And uh, so now, real quick, I'm going to remind you what everybody wrote. So don't, don't uh, clap yet, and then you'll clap in a second. Does that make sense? Cool. Uh, so Pat Keene did Wizard of Oz. Then we had Mr. Mike O'Connell with Antique Roadshow, uh, Heather Thompson, Designing Women, and of course, Mr. Andre Dubouchet just then with Guy Fieri. So starting with Pat Keene. Who liked Pat Keene best? All right. All right. Michael Connell, Antiques Roadshow. <laughs> Heather Thompson, Designing Women. <laughs> Andre Dubouchet, Guy Fieri. <laughs> All 
All right, I think we need to do a little runoff with uh, Mr. Dubouchet and Mr. O'Connell. So you got to really sell it for the one you like the best, starting with Mr. Mike O'Connell. Andre Dubouchet. We're going to call that a tie. Two-way tie. Thank you guys all so much. Give it up for our champs, for everybody in round one. Yes. Well, that does it for round one, and congratulations to both Andre Dubouchet and Mike O'Connell. To hear round two from this show featuring Aparna Nancharla, Emily Maya Mills, Hampton Yount, Jonah Ray, and Kyle Kinane, reading pieces they wrote based upon audience suggestions, go download episode 20. If you're listening to this in San Francisco on August 10th, maybe you still have time to get to Outside Lands and see us live at 1.30 p.m. at the Barbary Tent, but probably not. August 20th is the next Nerd Melt show in L.A. at 7 p.m. with special guest Mary Lynn Rice Cup. August 23rd and 24th, I'll be at the High Plains Comedy Fest in Denver doing stand-up. Unfortunately, no fan fiction this time, but I'll be back soon. August 26th, doing stand-up with Kyle Kinane in Sioux Falls at Latitude 44. August 27th, competitive erotic fanfiction at The Waiting Room in Omaha, Nebraska, also with Kyle Kinane and a bunch of great local comics. September 1st at Bumbershoot in Seattle and September 7th back at Union Hall in Brooklyn. As always, you can join the competitive erotic fanfiction Facebook group to get updates or follow me on Twitter at Brian Cooking. See you next time. Now leaving Nerdist.com. 